Let me begin by expressing gratitude to God for the opportunity given to stand before you, but also extending gratitude to the elders here at uh, KBC for inviting me to come and bring God's word to you uh, today. I also bring you greetings from Minwodundeke uh, Baptist Church. Let me ask you to turn to Galatians, Galatians and chapter 4, we will be focusing our thoughts in verse 4 and 5. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. I read those two passages. I'm reading from the ESV. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I'll read it again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let us pray together. Our great God and our Father, we are grateful unto you for the opportunity that you have given unto us, that Lord, on a special day such as today, on the Lord's day that we can gather together as we rest from our everyday work, that we may worship you, almighty God, even as we commune with one another and with you. Indeed, we recognize your presence in our midst and the leadership of your Holy Spirit. And now we continue to pray that Almighty God, um, you may continue to be glorified even in our midst, that in all that we continue to do from the hymns that we sing and the prayers offered unto you and even through our giving and now even through the preaching of your word, that in all this, almighty God, you alone will be glorified and magnified. We pray that as we now turn to the study of your word, we recognize the awesome responsibility that is before us. The Lord, we are simply men and women with feeble minds, and yet we desire to understand the mind of an infinite God. We yield ourselves unto you, almighty God, that the ministry of your Holy Spirit may be upon us, that he, it may please him to illumine our minds and to open our eyes that we may behold even those wonderful things that you would like us to see and to learn even from your word. That as your grace abounds upon us, the Lord, our commitment will not only be to listening to your word, but that each one of us as we walk out of this place, that we will endeavor, almighty God, to put into practice those principles of life, even as we derive them from your word, that almighty God, in our everyday living, as we endeavor to please you, that we may continue to live lives that reflect, almighty God, the image of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified now, O Lord, even through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as many of us know, 
Uh, December is a month that usually draws our attention to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ because of Christmas. And I know that out there there is a lot of debate as to whether as Christians we should commemorate Christmas or not. But I think it is, it is not much of a concern because we all know that the Lord Jesus Christ was not born on the 25th of December. But yet we take advantage of that day to simply remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to simply remember that special gift that God gave to mankind in his endeavor to bring about the salvation of mankind. But what is the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ into this world? Well, the text we are considering this morning and also in the evening grants us the opportunity to study the coming of God's Son into the world, Christ Jesus, and what it ought to mean to every one of you that is called a child of God, to every one of you that is called a Christian, and also to every one of us who are created by God. But before we dive into the text, notice with me the context, the context in which our passage is actually found. Well, the text we are studying together is found in the immediate context where the Apostle Paul is illustrating a point. And that point is this, that believers are saved by faith and not by observing the law. That being true, what then is the relationship between the law and faith? In other words, if believers are saved by faith, what was then the purpose of the law? And the Apostle Paul responds in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, and he says, I read, So then, the law was our guardian, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. As he moves into chapter 4 then, Paul gives an illustration. He, he gives us an example. He illustrates this point. And notice what he says from verse 1 to verse 3. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guidance and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, we were children. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And I'd like you to notice that it is within this illustration that then Paul utters the words that we are considering this morning in our text. And clearly, if you look at our text, you can actually see that the theme, the theme of our text is the commission of God's Son by God the Father. This theme is well captured in the second part of verse 4, where the Apostle Paul declares, God sent forth his Son. God sent 
forth his son. In other words, here lies the charge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here lies the tasking of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when he came into this world, he came because the Father sent him. He came because he was sent forth by the Father. Concerning this theme of the commission of the Son, there are four things that I will endeavor to bring to your attention. Two, we will deal with them this morning, and then in the evening we will end with the last two. But here are the four. Number one, the precision of the commission of the Son. The precision of the commission of the Son. Number two, the identification in the commission of the Son. Number three, the goal of the commission of the Son. And then lastly, number four, the outcome of the commission of the Son. So let's begin then with that first detail that the Apostle Paul gives us concerning the sending forth of God's Son into this world. The precision, notice with me then, first of all, the precision of the commission of the Son. Observe with me here that God sent forth his Son into the world at the exact time. He sent his Son into the world at the precise time, at the appropriate time that he had planned. The time that he had intended. And that is what the Apostle Paul first of all brings out for us in our text. In the first part of verse 4, he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Well, what does he mean? What does he mean here? Well, the key word for us to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in this segment of our text is actually that word fullness. The word translated as fullness means fulfillment. It means full end. It means completion or full period. And so what the Apostle Paul means here for us is that when the time was fulfilled or that when the full end of time had been reached or when the time was completed, God commissioned his son. God sent forth his son. God tasked his son to come into this world. In much simpler terms, what Paul means here is this, that when the time, when the right time has come, it is not just the time, it is the right time. When the right time had come, God sent his son into the world. Perhaps for the sake of more clarity, Listen to how other versions would render this section of our text. The NIV puts it this way. He says, but when the set time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. 
Another version that is known as the New English Translation, it puts it this way. It says, but when the appropriate time, when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son. Another version that is known as the New Living Translation, it would express it this way. It says, when the right time came, God sent his son. And so here, church, here is the point that the Apostle Paul simply endeavors to make here. That the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the scene of the world was not by chance. It was not by happenstance. It was not a plan B. His coming was under the strategic timing providentially set aside by God the Father himself. His coming was not one day before. Neither was it behind the appointed time. There could never be the appropriate time for the Son of God to come into the world than at the time that Jesus Christ did. He came into the world at the time that God the Father had set, and that was the right time. That was the appropriate time. He came into the world at the exact point in human history when God was ready for his coming. I mean, if you think about it, God could have chosen to send his son immediately when Adam and Eve sinned. He could have chosen to send his son at that time, or he could have chosen to send his, his son right at the time of Noah, right before the flood. He could have done that. Or God could have chosen to send his son into the world before he chose Abraham. Or even at the time of the Exodus, when he was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, he would have chosen to then send his son. But no, it wasn't the intended time. It wasn't the time that God had planned right at the close of what is known as the intertestamental period and at the dawn of the New Testament, that was the appropriate time for God to send his son. At that time, listen to how the world had been wonderfully prepared for the coming of Christ. The law had done its educational work. The Apostle Paul has already shown us that the law was our guardian. It was our tutor. The law had already done its educational work. It had shown through the Jewish nation that men are terrible transgressors. And despite all God's favor and blessings, men still failed to worship God in a way that he desired. The world now had a picture of what it means to be depraved. The world now had a picture of what it means to have a wicked heart. And all because of the educational work of the law. But not only that, the world was full of people spiritually starved. The worship of self, the worship of pleasure, gods, philosophical ethics and ideas. They had all left many empty and barren. The soul was now ready 
it was now ready to have its hunger satisfied and met. But also we see that the world was at peace under the Roman rule, what is known as Pax Romana. The world was an open door for the spread of the gospel without restraint. But not only that, the world was ready at least to speak one language, the whole world, the language Greek, making communication possible with many from all over the world. But lastly, the world had a system of roads, of mass travel, which allowed Christian missionaries to reach the furthest parts of the earth. And what point am I simply making? What I'm simply saying here is that as the Apostle Paul declares for us, it is when the fullness of time had come that God would send forth his time. We see the precision of God. We see the punctuality of God. We see the exactness of God that right on time, as he had planned and ordained, God sent forth his son. But there's also the second thing that we see about the commission of the son that the Apostle Paul brings out in the passage that we are considering. Notice with me the identification in the commission of the son. The identification in the commission of the son. And what we're simply saying here is that the sending forth of his son into the world, the sending forth of God's son into the world, God designed that the son would identify with man for whom he came to serve. That, God, that the son as he comes into this world as he obeys the commission of the Father, as he obeys the sending forth of the Father, and as he comes, that he would identify with man, with the man, that he comes to save. Listen to what Paul says in the third part of verse 4. Uh, if we read from the beginning of verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Then listen. Born of woman, born under the law. Notice with me here that there are two aspects, actually. Two aspects that describe to us, that give us a description of this identification of the son with the man that he comes to save. The first aspect is that Jesus Christ was born of woman. He was born of woman. What does it mean? What does it mean when it is said of Christ that when he came into the world, he was born of woman? Well, it simply means that the Son of God came into this world and he came in the form of a man. He came in the form of a man. He was deity. I mean, he is deity. He is God. He is divine. As the Apostle John would show us in, in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, he would, he would tell us, then the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so we actually see, even here, the Apostle Paul giving us this testimony that when Jesus Christ came into the world, he was born of woman. In other words, that he took upon himself flesh. A process that theologians call the incarnation. The incarnation. And according to the account of the Gospels, this whole process of incarnation simply made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit who worked in the womb of this virgin woman called Mary and was able to fashion a body for the Son of God. And this is the body that the Son of God would then use to come into this world. Mary is puzzled when he receives news about what God was planning with her. When she receives news of how that she was going to be of child and even though she had been engaged to Joseph and they had not yet been husband and wife, their marriage had not yet been consummated, so she asks, how possible is it going to be that I, who is a virgin, could be of child? Well, the angel responds, and this is what he says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. We are told, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child... To be born will be called holy, and holy the Son of God. And so what we see here, church, is this. That when the appointed time had come for God to send his Son into the world, a virgin, Mary, was singled out and chosen to be the vessel through whom the Son of God would be born into the world. And so that this son of God, as he comes into the world, he comes having taken upon himself flesh, having taken upon himself humanity, so that then he would become a suitable savior because he is both God and man. He is the God-man who qualifies to be able to bring about the propitiation or the atonement that would then reconcile us to God. But what is the significance? What is the significance of Christ Jesus being born of woman? What is the significance? Or asked in another way, why was Jesus particularly dis designated as coming into the world in the manner that he did? Why did he have to be born of woman? Why, why not just appear? <laughs> why not just appear from heaven he comes? Why did God design salvation this way? That his son would come into the world and the means through which he would come is the incarnation, that the means through which the Son would come into the world, it is by him taking upon himself humanity and being born of a woman. Clearly, 
there was something peculiar in the fact that Jesus was born of woman. In other words, there was some special reason why that, that fact should be made prominently a matter of record. In other words, that there is a reason as to why it actually had to be recorded that Jesus Christ would be born of a woman. And I'm sure as you're looking at me, it reminds you of something. It reminds you of the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve when they sinned. That promise that we find in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. What theologians call the proto euangelion or the very first good news, the first gospel. And listen, God says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, as he is pronouncing a curse to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If you actually notice, there is a transition that is happening in this pronouncement. That in terms of offspring, as God is giving this pronouncement, there is a shift of from offspring being plural to offspring being singular. And that we see, finally, God would say, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And clearly, there was one person that God had in mind, and that is his son. And so deliberately then, as Paul is talking about the coming of the son, deliberately then, the apostle Paul chooses that phrase, born of woman, in order to signify to us the realization of the promise of God in Genesis 3.15. In other words, that the Apostle Paul is deliberate in the choice of his words because there is a greater message that he would like us to see that in the coming of the Son, it is something that God had already pronounced. It is something that God had already promised. That this is how salvation would come. This is how victory over the serpent would come. The seed of the woman. One who would be born of woman. The offspring of the woman. Is the one who would bring about that ultimate victory. And so the Apostle Paul then, as he is writing to us concerning the coming of Christ, he shows us that not only did it happen at the appropriate time that God designed, but we also see that there is this aspect of the Messiah as he comes, the Savior as he comes, the Son of God as he comes. He comes identifying with man whom he comes to save by actually partaking of his nature, partaking of his experiences in order that he may be a faithful high priest. And so we have seen that the first aspect, the first aspect here is that Jesus was born of woman. But notice with me the second aspect 
that the Apostle Paul brings out in describing to us the identification of the Son, of the Son of God with man that he came to save. Paul declares, he says, born under the law. Born under the law. In other words, that Jesus Christ as he came, not only was he born of woman, but we also see that he was born under the law. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it simply means that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was made subject to the law of God. That he came at a time when we were still under the trusteeship of the law, under the guardianship of the law. It is in that condition then, in that state then, that Jesus Christ would come to identify with us. In other words, that as a man, Jesus was bound by the law's requirement and subject to its control. He took his place under the law that he might accomplish an important purpose for those who were under it. In other words, that he too, as he comes into the world, and as he identifies with man that he comes to serve, he is also born in the same condition as man is, bound to the law of God. But why? Why was it necessary, we must ask? Why was it necessary for Jesus Christ to be born under the law? Well, we see that although Christ was without sin, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 would actually show us, yet he was born under the law as one obliged to fulfill it. Because remember... For you and me to stand reconciled before God, to stand saved before God, we must be a people who stand righteous. And so Jesus Christ comes in order to obey the law on our behalf, so that then when he has achieved that righteousness, when he has accomplished that righteousness, when he has fulfilled that righteousness that it may then be imputed to those who believe in him, to those who respond in him in faith. So that salvation is given as a gift to you and me. Righteousness is given as a gift to you and me, not because we have earned it, not because we have worked for it, but it is because Jesus Christ himself did accomplish it, and therefore that account is transferred to us. That righteousness, as the accountants would put it, is imputed to us. It is credited to our account. There is a greater exchange that happens, that our fouls are exchanged. Jesus Christ takes upon himself our foul. And that foul of Jesus Christ is passed on to us so that when the judge looks at it, he simply sees that this person before me, yes, has been able to fulfill the righteousness that is required. And he therefore declares us innocent. The concept that we call justification. Well, like all men, Jesus was obligated to obey God's law. 
and why. The Bible gives us three reasons why it had to be so. Gives us three reasons. Reason number one, that Christ may be a suitable savior. That he had to be born under the law in order that he may be a fitting savior. He may be a suitable savior that identified with sinners who are under the curse of the law. His death, yes, freed us from the curse of the law. The Apostle Paul would express it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and 14. He says, for all who, who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us, listen, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us by himself becoming a curse for us. Paul says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on the tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come, might, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So why was he born under the law? Well, number one, we have seen it is so that Jesus Christ might be a suitable savior who identifies with us who are sinners and under the curse of the law. But reason number two, that Christ may be, Christ may be a suitable savior whose sinlessness, whose sinlessness made him the unblemished sacrifice for sins, a savior who fulfilled all righteousness. Well, we've seen he is a suitable savior because he identifies with us. But secondly, we see he is a suitable savior because he, he comes sinless. He comes as a lamb that is unblemished. A lamb that is spotless. A lamb that is without sin. Listen, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, listen, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. A high priest who has also gone through the experiences that we do, but yet he has come out victorious. But reason number three, that he may be a suitable savior whose perfect obedience is the ground of our being declared righteous. That the justification that you and me enjoy, the fact that God would able to, is able to declare us righteous, it is something that came because Jesus Christ obeyed. And that obedience is what is transferred to us, imputed to us, credited to us. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul would make in Romans 
and chapter 5, verse 15 to 21, as he shows us that Christ Jesus comes as the last Adam. The first Adam brings about death into the world because of his disobedience and transgression. The last Adam brings about life into the world by his obedience and righteousness. And this is what he says. Paul says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's transgression, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment flowing, for judgment flowing one trespass brought contamination, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17. For if, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in, in, to, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound for all. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, we have seen that the, the theme that the Apostle Paul simply carries along in the passage that we are studying, it is the commission of the Son, the sending forth of the Son, the tasking of the Son. And we have seen that there are two particular details that the Apostle Paul gives us in regard to the coming of the Son. The precision, the punctuality of God, the fact that Jesus Christ was born at the exact time that God designed, but also the identification in the commission in the sense that, that Jesus Christ came, he identified with us, he identified with man. He was born of woman, but also born under the law. As we come to a conclusion, <clears throat> what lessons can we draw? What lessons can we draw? Just three lessons, and these lessons center around God's plan of salvation. Lesson number one, notice that in his plan of salvation, man's deliverance is God's initiative, and thus his doing. That in this plan of salvation, the, 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 this, 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 this idea of God bringing about salvation to man, it was his idea, it was God's initiative. And therefore, because it was God's initiative, God is the one who owns salvation. It is his doing. Jonah 
whilst praying in the belly of the fish, admits as follows. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Apostle John would also show us in John 3.16 that it is actually God that sent forth his son. And you can actually feel the emphasis, the emphasis that John makes in this verse. Listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And clearly you can actually see that the subject of the verse is no other than God himself. It is God himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Man's deliverance is God's initiative and thus his doing. But lesson number two, in his plan of salvation, God sought us. In his plan of salvation, it is not us that ran after God. It is not us that after trying so many things that finally we were able to find God. No. In the plan of God's salvation, it is him who sought man. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 9 and 12. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it is in that state of man, in that condition of man then, that the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, verse 6 to 7 would then declare, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. And notice that it is while we were yet sinners that Christ came. While we were still objects of God's wrath that Christ came. And the point, that salvation, in salvation, God actually sought us. Not only was it his initiative and his doing, but it is him who took a step to look us up, to seek us in order that he may find us and reconcile us to himself. But lastly, lesson number three, in his plan of salvation, God demonstrated his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. Back again to John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And indeed, as we sing, it is amazing love. Because how many of us 
How many of us would actually love those who are our enemies, those who are separated from us, those who do not want to have anything to do with us, those who insult us and curse us and say all bad things about us? How many of us would love them? But that is what God did. Us who were objects of his wrath, separated from him, it is while we were still in that state that God sent his son to come and die for our sins in order that we may be redeemed. And their church lies the good news for everyone. The good news for everyone who could be listening to me this very moment. And you are seated and you are there watching. God loves you. And in his love, he sought you. And in seeking you, he sent his only son. That even though you were unable to obey the law 100%, even though you were unable to save yourself, God's son comes and dies in our stead to pay for that penalty so that you and me can be restored, can be reconciled to him. And that extension, that, that, that hand of invitation is still extended to every one of you that could be seated and you do not know, you do not, you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ says, come, come, believe in me, trust in me, and I will give you eternal life. Amen.